welcome to the Bale Christian Church Podcast. In this fifth message from the Great Mystery Series titled Christ in You, Pastor Ben Pitney is teaching from the book of Colossians chapter 1 verses 23 through 29 and Acts chapter 9. At Bale Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Good morning. Hey, I want you to take your Bible out and turn to Colossians chapter 1. I also want you to put the bookmarker in there and turn to Acts chapter 9. Now today, we're in this spot in the letter with Paul that I'm, I'm really excited about because this is about a quest. Now lots of movies, uh, you know, there's lots of really great movies that are um, designed or made or written around a quest. You know, like Indiana Jones kind of stuff, where they're adventures and and uh, just really cool things like that. I mean, almost any really great movies like that. I was just watching a old cowboy western movie yesterday. Just uh, and it was just a quest. It's a journey, right, of uh, moving cattle and things like that, and the adventures and the wild frontier and all that. Great movies are like that. And 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 this story that we're going to look at today. This passage is going to capture this quest, and it's Paul, um, the Apostle Paul, and his quest. And so I think one of the greatest stories or greatest, greatest quests or challenges that I know of, it's not in mythology, but it's actually right here, and it's how Paul, before he was Paul, how he was Saul of Tarsus and how he got his name Paul, Right? And this quest represents a life that um, he's called to and, it, and an invitation that was extended to him, kind of laid on him, laid before him, and he took it up and he lived it out. And so today in this letter uh, to the Colossians, we're going to look back or, or look at how he's now mature because this happened a long time ago in his life. And I think we're going to draw out some challenge and meaning. So The way Saul of Tarsus became Paul, this great apostle to the Gentiles, this great discipler, this great preacher, this great church planter, the way it all began was his life before becoming a Christ follower. He hated Christ. He hated Christ. He was a defender of Judaism against the incursion of Christianity. He didn't like it. And so he was spending his life trying to stamp it out. Right. And so in Acts chapter seven, in Acts chapter eight, you find him enabling the martyrdom of Stephen. So Paul was putting people in jail. He was putting people in prison. He, they were, he was he was a part of beating people and and killing people, actually stoning people. And eventually he sent to Damascus with letters by the leadership of the Jews in Jerusalem to imprison and to oversee the, the destruction of Jews who had become Christ followers. So in Acts chapter 9, where we're going to look, starting in verse 3, it records what happened to him on his way to Damascus. Look at it really quickly. Acts chapter 9, verse 3, it says, As he was going along, approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's kind of critical statement right there. I just want you to know, because we're going to come back to this, the voice does not say, Saul, 
Saul, why are you persecuting my people? Okay? He says, why are you persecuting me? So he says, who are you, Lord? He's already realizes that he's the Lord is who's kind of knocking him on his feet. He replies, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. You see, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. Now, the story continues on with Saul. He's blinded by this light that interrupted his journey. He's led, you know, shaken in his boots to Damascus where a Christ follower named Ananias meets him. Ananias is hesitant to be kind to Saul because Saul's been, you know, he's like this really mean persecutor. So he's like, are you, I don't want to be around this guy. I might die, right? And, but the Lord convinces him with these words. Go down to verse 15 and 16. Look what he says. The Lord says, go, because this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the people of Israel. Verse 16, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. This is big. The Lord's saying, I've set this guy on a quest. He's going to take up this quest the rest of his life. He's received my call to carry my name. He's going to live a life of adventure and difficulty and persecution. I'm going to show him how much he's going to suffer. Ananias, you need to go to this guy. So we know that Ananias does. And now we look back now through the lens of Paul in Colossians chapter 1. It's like a reflection on what it was like to live that way written to the Colossians years later. So a couple of things, of themes from Christ's call on Paul begin to reappear in this section, right? One is that is it's Jesus receiving the persecution of his people, right, his children, as the persecution of himself. In other words, Jesus is saying, when you persecute my people, you're persecuting me, man. And so that's a theme. So Saul has been persecuting Christ followers, imprisoning them, overseeing their beatings and execution. But Jesus says, it's me that you're doing this to. And then another theme is that in the suffering for Jesus's name, Paul was entering into an intimacy or a closeness with Jesus as well, right? You're being connected when you suffer for Jesus to Jesus in a really close way. So look at Colossians 1 now. Go to verse 23 because we look at the last phrase of verse 23 we went through verse 23 last time but we'll start at verse 23 through 29 now okay so it says the gospel that you heard all right the gospel has also been preached in all creation under heaven and i paul have become its servant underline that servant word Now I rejoice in my suffering for you, and I fill up in my physical body for the sake of his body, the church, what is lacking in suffering of Christ. I became a servant, there's that word servant again, of the church, according to the stewardship from God given to me for you, underlined for you, in order to complete the word of God. That is the mystery, there's that thing that this whole series is about, the mystery that's been kept hidden from the ages and generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known to them the glorious riches of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. 
We proclaim him by instructing and teaching all people with all wisdom so that we may present every person mature in Christ. And toward this goal, I also labor, struggling according to his power. That powerfully works in me. So let's talk about the stewardship first of mystery or of the mystery. Paul says at the end of verse 23 that he had become a servant of the gospel. And then in verse 25, a servant of the church. So he sees two things, a serving the gospel and serving the church. And the word servant here is an ordinary servant who has responsibility to his superiors, who's got to give up his life and his rights to that which is greater than his. We sometimes use the term volunteer at church, and it's actually a terrible word to use at church. It is. We're not volunteering. You got to get it out of your language. We're not volunteers. The church, nobody volunteers at church, or you kind of got it wrong. Volunteer is a word that you use when um, when it's really about you and your rights and your time and your whatever, right? But see, as a Christ follower, you give all that up and you become a servant. We're servants. A servant is the subordinate one whose rights are less important than those superior to him and it is jesus it's all about jesus and we he is superior to us and at times i cringe at the thought of thinking uh different than this uh, I'm, I'm trying my best to lead us as a church to rid, a, rid ourselves of that language volunteering for anything we don't we serve we serve we serve the king so everything we serve and we're asked to serve Serves the king, serves the gospel, serves the church. So Paul knew that he was to be a steward or an overseer of an extraordinary, rich mystery that he was supposed to make plain to people. Paul is thinking of this quest that he's been given in that way. He has life itself in his hands, and there are people who need this and need to know it and understand it. It's a really high, difficult calling, and it's worth giving his life to he's a servant to this mystery and this mystery has got to be revealed and so he's on a quest so paul's got a quest there's language throughout this section we got to read or we or we just read and the paragraphs that follow that fit well in any adventure story, if you think about it. It's the language of a quest, a challenge. It's filled with references to riches, glory, mystery, wealth, treasure, all these things. And yet Paul describes what it meant for him to deal in in, in these things. Look at verse 24. Verse 24 reminds us that in the challenge he's been given, he rejoices in suffering. So it's a difficult quest. And at the end of the paragraph, he speaks of labor and struggle because he was a servant of the gospel and a servant of the church. He's called on to suffer and to rejoice in his sufferings. He's called on to labor, to work hard, caring for people, spending his life, spending himself physically and emotionally, shouldering the burdens and pains of other people. It's a quest the Lord gave him. And uh, when he interrupted him on his journey to Damascus, remember the word to Ananias. Remember the Lord speaking to Ananias? He says, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. In verse 24, there's some, some modifications to this statement. Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings. He doesn't rejoice in suffering because he, he likes to be beaten. 
He rejoices in, the, in his suffering because it's purposeful. I ask you to underline, it's for you. We lose sight of this sometimes really easy. It's easy to do. I lose sight of it. That the gospel, the church, this quest that Paul is challenging us. He's, he's, um, we're, we're, we're looking at his quest, but it's a quest that we're challenged with as well. And the church is this place that this is all fleshed out. It's all fleshed out here. And it's very, very others-minded. It's all others-minded. That's why you're not volunteering. You're serving. It's true service. Remember, Paul's under house arrest in Rome. He's in prison. He's waiting. He's been there a long time. He's, he, he, he's waiting, and he's in the hands of Caesar, Caesar for who knows what, he, death maybe, right? For more than two years, he'd been set aside from any freedom to move, to do any ministry at all. Before that, he's been the target of a band of terrorists, a bunch of thugs that were hired basically by the establishment, the church establishment, to just run him out of town kind of thing. Uh, they wanted to destroy his life in Jerusalem. He's, a, he's escaped, just barely escaped. He's been shipwrecked on his way to Rome as a prisoner. He gets in a shipwreck, right? Stranded. Prior to all that, he, he's imprisoned in all kinds of places. He's been beaten. He's been left for dead. He's been misunderstood by his own people, his own friends. He's rejected by the people that he cares for. Time and time again, he suffers. He's been hated. He loses all kinds of things, physical harm, emotional pain, the pressure of caring for other people. The quest has been crazy. But he says, even if this life doesn't pay off for me, it's absolutely worth it. It's absolutely worth it. As a servant of the gospel and as a servant of the church, if I got to give my life away and lay it all down, I'm going to do it. I'm glad to do it. I rejoice because other people in other places are going to grow in their faith by my letters that I write, the words that I teach, the encouragement I give by my example of faith. Other people are going to have life, and that's enough for me. That's enough for me because this life is just temporary. And compared to the life to come, this is all garbage. This is all rubbish. So, I said that there's this closeness with Christ that he's experiencing because this is the other truth that he makes clear in speaking of his suffering, his difficulty, his adversity, is that it draws him near to Jesus. Look at verse 24 still. I fill up in my physical body for the sake of his body, the church, for the sake of the church, what is lacking in sufferings of Christ. So there's nothing lacking in Christ's afflictions. There's nothing lacking there. In the sense that Jesus did not entirely pay for our sins on the cross. He did. He paid for everything. That's not at all what is said here. The suffering of Christ in dying on the cross, defeating sin, death, and all that absolutely is complete. It can't be added to. There's no need for further effort for people to suffer so that we can get more saved or anything like that. That's not it. He's referring to the hatred by Jesus' enemies that Jesus endured all his life and the hatred of the prophets and the patriots before him, and the hatred of those who live life in the faith of every generation, including now. Jesus was misunderstood, denigrated, beaten, ridiculed, cut off, executed like a criminal in his own lifetime. The world, which is still committed to its sinfulness, still hates Jesus. And it will take out its hatred of him on those who have their lives 
within him. Paul's saying in verse 24, I rejoice in my suffering because I'm doing my part in living out the suffering that Jesus still experiences in the world. Remember what the Lord said to Paul on the Damascus Road? Why are you persecuting me? You can imagine what he's trying to say there, right? He is still sorrowful and hurting over those who hate him and over those who love him when they are hurt for his namesake. So Paul says, I do my part in filling up my body what remains of the suffering of the Lord. And so I rejoice. I'm not going to fight back against the, the assignment that I've been giving. given. I'm going to take the hardship of the quest. I'm going to do it and I'm going to live it well. I'm going for it. The quest, the challenge by definition, it's got to have difficulty in it. It's not a quest and it's not a challenge really, is it? Unless that's there. So to go wherever he sends us, to work hard and labor at great length because we choose to. We choose to suffer with joy because there's no avoiding it. That's the language of the challenge. It'd be true of any story, any made-up story filled with danger and difficulty and all that struggle and adversity. These are the choices made by a servant of the church, a servant of the gospel. Let's look at the servant of the gospel. Listen carefully what Paul says in verse 26 and 27. Look at verse 26. About what it means to be a servant of the gospel. How excited Paul is about the message that he has and how extraordinary he understands it to be, to, to, to have this message and be able to give it away to other people. The end of verse 25, he says, Given to me for you in order to complete the word of God, that is the mystery that's been kept hidden from the ages and generations, but's now been revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known to them the glorious riches of this ministry among the uh, mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope and glory. That's the language of a quest. It's a mystery. It's hidden. It's been revealed, and it has to be given away. It's the richest truth, so he wants to offer them this extraordinary thing that God has made known to him. And I, I get excited because there's really important things here. The word mystery in the New Testament doesn't refer to something that you can figure out, like on a, in a murder mystery where you're looking for the clues. Paul says, I've been let in on this great truth. It's a rich, glorious, ancient mystery hidden from past ages and generations, but now it's been revealed to the saints. And saints are not exalted people, by the way. You know how um, our modern world exalts, or when we refer to a saint, it's like an exalted person, a really special person. The Catholic Church suggests this sometimes. It's a, like it's the highest level of a believer. But here... In the New Testament, it's exactly the opposite of that. Saint is the most ordinary term for everybody in the kingdom. It's just an ordinary term. Just a regular person. You're a saint if you belong to Jesus. It's the most inclusive of terms. Not just reserved for some special folks. The thing that Paul's saying here is, listen carefully. Listen carefully. The past ages and generations didn't know about this. The patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they didn't know clearly how God would meet the needs of his people. But the mystery has been revealed to me, and I have the privilege of passing it on to you, the saints. The regular folks, including the Gentiles, by the way, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, when you jump back in your thinking, 
to this section that began in Colossians. Like last week, we looked at it. Verse 15, remember what Paul said there about Jesus. He said this about Christ. He's the Lord of creation and the Lord of new creation. He's at the beginning, and he's the one who sustains the entire universe. He's the one from whom everything exists. He's going to wrap it all up for himself at the end. He's the master of all principalities, powers, angels, demons, history, humanity, the heavens, and what's on earth. He's the master of everything. He's the Lord of everything. This is the Christ who is in you. The one who is supreme over all. He's taken up residence in your life, he says, and mine. That's the way God's going to put everything right. And that's the quest Paul's on to serve that truth and serve these people. He's got to join these things together by letting them know what the Lord has done. So look at verse 27, the hope of glory. It tells us something that the message Christ in you explains. It means that there's this coming day when all glory and all this amazing stuff that is his will be true of you as well. Our hope of glory is our certainty that the world's not all there is that on that day when Christ is revealed for who he is, we will share in that glory because we're united with him. That's that awesome feast and banquet we were talking about during the Lord's Supper. And Paul's going to say further on in this paragraph, divine strength is what energizes him. He's struggling and working and laboring and enduring sleeplessness and difficulty. He spends full nights in prayer and in chains. And all that he's going through, it's the power of Jesus, the power of Christ that sustains him. That's what he says in verse 29. Look at verse 29. Struggling according to his power, that powerfully works in me. So while the message, Christ in you, is about the future, it's all about the present as well. It's all about all that we have to face now. He's going to meet your needs, whether... It's for endurance or courage or wisdom or love for people that you can't love or don't want to love. <laughs> Whatever the power requirement in our life is, right now his power is at work within us because Christ is in us. You see? So then when you go to verse 28 and 29, it's all about the quest and the journey. The language that he uses helps us see all of his activities. He says he would remember on the Damascus road, the Lord said he would carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the people of Israel. Now Paul's in his maturity. He's looking back on this, helping us understand what this all means. What he says in verse 28, we proclaim him by instructing and teaching all people with all wisdom so that we may present every person mature in Christ, every man, woman, child, adult, grandparent. We got two responsibilities here a responsibility to the gospel and to the church. And Paul's saying it's got to come together. You can't separate it. You have to know the gospel. You have to understand it. That's where all the power and the saving takes place. And the church is the mechanism, the organism, this great living organism that's not just a place you go to. It's Christ in you. It's us. That's how it's all fleshed out. You can't separate it. It's all one. There are dual purposes, I guess, so to speak. And he has to make the people of God understand what it is for Christ to be in them. He wants to help people get this. He wants them to know they, they, they have to proclaim Christ. That means everywhere we go, everywhere we talk, 
who we're talking with, the truth's got to be broadcasted. It's got to get out there. It's got to be what people got to hear. They, people aren't going to be saved unless they hear, unless the gospel is explained and preached and presented and shared and discussed and taught. He says that he teaches everyone. That means we got to be intentional just like him, intentional with the truth, getting everybody together in community, learning and teaching. The gospel's got to be laid out systematically and thoroughly whenever possible. That's why there are 10 classrooms. This is the first thing we built as a church. Classrooms where children can learn and teenagers can learn and classes can be held together where we can intentionally teach and instruct people regarding the gospel and the church. Because there is nothing more ineffective than an immature, ignorant, illiterate group of Christ followers. We can't explain the gospel or even know what it is. See, that's a big deal. So he says, we got to teach everybody. I teach everybody. That means we got to be intentional about all of this. Paul's responsibility to the gospel and the church is that he must, by whatever it takes, with the power of God struggling him, do everything he can to let this truth sink into people's lives so that they can be changed by it because that's where the change happens. That's why we say, you know, say it like this it'll make sense when i say it but it's hard to flesh out the big group gathering like this it only exists really it only exists to facilitate smaller gatherings where life in christ can be truly fleshed out because i'm just not good enough to just teach and instruct us all from this platform and it'd be good enough we got to break it down into smaller ways of learning i mean it's 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 a simple educational principle that i think is super biblical and the goal of all of that, he says, is that everybody should be presented mature in Christ. That's the goal, mature in Christ. Everybody should grow up so that real maturity in Christ takes place, not inconsistent, just sort of playing with church. Failing at the same things over and over and over again, always on a roller coaster ride emotionally. See, his aim is mature Christ followers who know how to handle life who are sent out on quests of their own, who understand their gifts, who they are, and how they're supposed to live as God intended them to live. So you can bring this message with credibility. He's speaking of himself because he wants the quest he's on to inspire others, to challenge others, to choose the same thing, to hear the voice of God in their lives, setting them on a challenge of their own so that everybody should become a mature Christ follower, mature in Christ. See, don't miss the fact in verse 28, all people are, mess, are, are mentioned, instructing and in teaching all people with all wisdom so they may present every person mature in Christ. What has this got to do with me? You ready? Here we go. You're being called right now, whether you like it or not. That's the way the scriptures work. This is God speaking this truth. God is speaking through it, calling you, the almighty God, to make choices in your service to the gospel and the church. That's just the way it is. We're to be serving the gospel and the church and they work together. You're being called by God right now. Now, so are you doing any instructing and teaching, by the way? Because uh, that's, that's a part of what we're doing too. If you're not a part of instructing and teaching, see, that's part of our role on this quest. We're all supposed to be on this quest. This is why Paul presents it in this fashion. This is who we are. This is what we do. We're instructors and teachers of the gospel and of the church, this awesome mechanism, explaining Jesus everywhere we go. 
This is who we are and what we do. And we're called by the Almighty God. Are you engaged in service of suffering and sacrifice? That can only be explained if Christ is in you. Because if Christ is in you, you see, the only way you can explain that Christ is in you is that there is service of suffering and sacrifice. It just goes hand in hand. When you're really living it, it is hard, I think. I think it's hard. I think Christianity is radical. I think it is others-minded. And we are not built that way naturally. We are built selfish. We are. Just look at yourself. Look at, I mean, you can look at me. <laughs> I'm about as selfish as it gets. I am. So we're constantly battling that. And it is a suffering battle. So does the quest of Paul inspire you to choose the same way Paul did? To choose the quest? So that everybody should become mature in Christ because that's our purpose, that's our mandate, that's our mission all summed up. The gospel, the church, our mission, our mandate, we're all to be on this quest, all at the same time, in unity, teaching and instructing, explaining Jesus. God's responsible for the results, not us. He just gives us the mission and the job, and unbelievably, He includes us in that. Oh, I think it's I think it's brilliant. I think it's beautiful. And I think it really inspires me, his challenge. See, we're being called by Almighty God to make choices in our service in the church. And we're called on by God, Almighty God, in our marriages and in our parenting. I'm excited for you as much as I'm excited for me. I want to push you over the edge and reinforce what God is calling you to do, and that is to make choices in the service of love, not just a service of suffering and sacrifice that can, you know, but a, a service that can only be explained if Christ is in you. Is Christ in you? Is Christ in you? Would you bow your head with me? I think you would. I'm really motivated by Paul. He's such an amazing person, and it's so amazing that you choose him, his life, and his journey, and his letters now that we benefit from that he wrote miraculously from prison and under house arrest and all kinds of places like that. How they got to the church and us. Lord, we don't want to be an ineffective, ignorant, just illiterate church, immature. No. We want to be a household of faith, a family of families that wrestle with the gospel and present it and explain it and surrender our life to you and the church, the, the, this mechanism, this organism that you gave us to help us be effective. It's brilliant, Lord. Thank you for loving us in this way and help us to love everybody else the same way. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. Join us next week as Pastor Ben takes us further into the great mystery. If you have any questions or would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.bailchristian.com.